throughout your generations, you shall observe the Passover as a perpetual ordinance. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. There are many things that stay with us in life, whether we want them to or not. All sorts of memories and situations, events that shape us into who we are and whose we are. And we tell those stories again and again because we are the stories that we tell. Remember this day forever and always, the Lord says. Teach it to your children and your children's children. Let them remember that I am the Lord who delivered you. I am the Lord of Passover. It is a remarkable story. God's deliverance of God's people from slavery into the promised land. It is a story that is told over and over again. That God's people might remember where they were and where they are now. To this day, Jews are required once a year to gather around the table. To tell this story. To remember what God did for them. It's on Passover that Jesus gathered with his friends remembering what God had done when he took bread and cup and said, this is my body and this is my blood. Passover is all about freedom. It's all about liberation. It's all about sacrifice. Last week when we left Moses, he was barefoot with the burning bush. I am who I am, said, I've got a job for you. You've got to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And so Moses did. And friends, it didn't go very well. Do you know how Pharaoh responds? He increases the workload of his Hebrew slaves. He takes away some of their food rations. He makes life even more miserable for them than it was before. And do you know what happens next? The plagues. The Nile turns red. There are frogs and gnats and flies. Animals begin to die off. Thunder and hail and locusts. It looks like the end of the world. And then the Lord speaks to Moses. Okay, Mo, the time has come. Everyone needs to get a lamb. It's got to be perfect, without blemish. They need to be slaughtered at twilight. I've got some specific rules about how they need to be cooked, how they need to be eaten. Make sure your loins are girded, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, because you're going to need to run. You're going to have to go. You can't even wait for the bread to be leavened. You've got to eat George Dickinson's hardtack and get out of there. The time has come to move. How do you feel about all of this? It's not a question that often gets asked from the pulpit, usually because this is like a monologue. You know, I just talk and talk and talk. There's not a lot of space for response, response, response. That's later. But how does it make you feel? Does it make you uncomfortable when Louise, blessed Louise, is up here talking about a lamb being slaughtered, blood being smeared on a doorpost? How does it make you feel? I think scripture has the power to make us feel all kinds of things. Fear, anger, sorrow, pain, hope. Scripture can do a lot of things to us. But sacrifice? I think sacrifice tends to offend us. We don't like to think about sacrifice. We don't like the thought of animals being unjustly ended to appease some sort of divine bloodlust, even though most of us eat meat every evening and we thank God for it before we eat it. And then we also don't like sacrifice because we don't like the idea of having to sacrifice anything for anyone. Even though it's true that everything we have comes at the expense of something or someone else. 
Exodus is a very well-known text, both for those inside and outside the church or the synagogue. It's a story that has captivated the hearts and minds of people for millennia. It's a story that's dynamic and scary and powerful and awe-inspiring. But with its might and majesty, there are parts of this story that we avoid altogether. It's fun to think about Moses kicking off his sandals and getting a sunburn with the burning bush. It's another thing entirely to consider what the burning bush tells Moses to do. You have to go speak truth to power. Do you know what happens when you speak truth to power? Power pushes back. Because the one thing power refuses to lose is power. That's why the Israelites have to leave in a hurry. Exodus comes at a cost. But we don't like that. We don't like thinking about things coming at a cost. We don't like thinking about sacrifice. We would rather consider a service than sacrifice, what we can do rather than what we have to give up, which is odd, I think. Christianity, the whole of our faith, is predicated on Christ's once and for all sacrifice for us. Have you ever noticed how many of the hymns that we sing are bloody? There's a lot of them. We just sang one of them like five minutes ago. There are a lot of bloody hymns, a lot of hymns about blood, about these kind of things that Louise was reading in the scriptures. In fact, there are so many bloody hymns. In the back of the hymnal, there's a topical index, a thematic index. It's there for people like Deborah and I so that we can find the right songs to fit with a theme that's happening on Sunday morning. You can look at it in the back of the hymnal. In fact, if you would like to, it's on page 944. There is a theme not just about blood, but about Jesus' blood in particular. There are that many hymns that it gets its own thematic notation in our index. If you get bored in the next 10 minutes, go look at the list of hymns, page 944. Blood. But we tend to avoid blood in church, in our singing, in our day-to-day lives. We don't like blood. We don't like blood because it makes us uncomfortable. I think the reason it makes us uncomfortable is because blood, seeing blood, reminds us of our mortality, of how finite we are. So we stop singing the hymns, we skip over those scriptures that make us uncomfortable, we leave the bloody business of life to butchers and to doctors. The rest of us, we don't need to see the blood. Now, it might not seem like that much of a big deal to avoid talking about blood, thinking about blood in church, but our faith is an embodied one. Christianity is not just some sort of spiritual thing that we get to feel in our feelings. God takes on our flesh in the incarnation. God spills God's blood from the cross. When Jesus returns, he's got holes in his hands and a hole in his side. So whenever we avoid this language, this stark and frightening and tactile language about things like blood, we make God into some sort of guru who just wants to encourage you to be the best version of yourselves. If you would like to become the best version of yourselves, Joel Osteen can do that for you. And it only costs $19.99 at Barnes & Noble or $100 if you'd like a seat in his church in Houston. Maybe we should start charging $100 a seat to come to worship on Sunday morning. How well do you think that would go over? It's not about becoming a better version of you. It's about setting you free. It's about liberation. It's about taking you from where you are to where the Lord wants you to go. 
And did you notice how specific it is? I mean, this might be one of the most specific passages in Scripture other than when God tells Noah how to build the ark. I mean, there are some remarkable details here, and the details are important. And it can be a bit jarring to us who think that God just wants our minds or our spirits. But Stanley Howard, one of my professors, said, Any God who doesn't tell you what to do with your pots and your pans, your clothing and your cooking, can't be a very interesting God. God has stuff for us to do. And the specificity is important, not only because it's usually a good idea to, to do what God says, but also because there are connections between the Passover lamb in Exodus and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world named Jesus. Jesus was without sin, innocent of the charges lobbed against him, just like the Passover lamb is supposed to be perfect and without blemish. Jesus was beaten to the point of death, stabbed in the side shortly before hanging on the cross, just like the Passover lamb is to be bled before being hung to roast. Notably, the Gospels remind us in multiple locations that Jesus was beaten, but his bones were not broken, just like the Passover's lamb, its bones were to remain intact. Now that is a lot. It is graphic and it is gory it is not for the faint of heart but that's what life is like life is messy life is hard it is difficult it is gory and frightening and we're reminded of it all the time whether we want to be reminded or not life begins with a mess Usually in a hospital room with doctors and nurses running everywhere. There's a lot of blood. It's frightening. Life also ends in a mess. With tears and grieving and fear. And yet one of the things that we proclaim week after week after week after week in church is that death, no matter how frightening or gory it is, is not the end. That whatever mess we make in this life, God can take care of it. It can be rectified by the only one who can do anything about it. Just as God took God's people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land, so too God takes us from our bondage to sin and death and brings us to our new promised land that we call salvation. Maybe that's why it's important for us to think about this word, exodus. Do you know what it means? It's not a journey. It's not travel. It's certainly not vacation. The word exodus, it means the way out. It means the way out. Whatever we can say about Passover, all these strange and bewildering and even frightening requirements and details, we can say this. On that night, God's people were given a way out through blood. In the New Testament, it picks up on this theme again and again. In 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed in Hebrews. When we're baptized into his death, it is sprinkled on our hearts. In John's gospel, we are saved by the blood of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's this lamb that gives us life and life everlasting. His blood is not smeared on our doorposts, but on the cross. That's why we have crosses everywhere to remind us of the Lamb of God who dies our death that we might rise with His life. It's the cross and the empty tomb that are the exodus for the rest of us. They are our way out. The cross and the empty tomb, they take us from where we are and they bring us to where we can be. They deliver us from our slavery to sin and death and they bring us to the promised land of salvation. 
In other words, despite whatever discomfort we might feel, we are not and we cannot be beyond sacrifice. Everything we have comes at the cost of something or someone else. Every single thing. So whenever we pretend like we live in a world where we no longer have to sacrifice, that sacrifice doesn't mean anything, we actually just belittle those who do the sacrificing. That's why God says to the Jews, you have to remember this day every single year. That's why we put crosses up everywhere we go. That we might remember that we live only by sacrifice. If you've ever been so fortunate to be encountered by the living God, if you've ever had a moment that feels like you were talking to a burning bush, then you know that you take it with you everywhere you go. It has become a movable feast. That's why we come here again and again, week after week. It's why we read these strange and wild stories. We sing these songs. We pray our prayers. We do this because it reminds us of the truth that God has made an exodus for us. Maybe that's why God says, eat with your loins girded with a staff in your hand and sandals on your feet. We worship the Lord who's on the move who calls us to feast on the word week after week, this movable feast. God is on the move and we are always on the move too. Not making our own way, but being moved and delivered by the one who makes a way where there is no way. God is in the business of liberation. Of loosing our bonds. And all liberation comes at sacrifice. So for you, are you stuck? Do you feel stuck in a mistake, perhaps? A mistake of your own making? Is there something in your life that feels like a bond or a shackle that's tied around you? Do you feel like your life is a mess? If you do, I've got good news for you. Everyone in this room has a life that feels like it's a mess. There are all sorts of things that we've done and left undone. There is all sorts of harm that has been done to us and harm we've done to other people. Our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, are a mess. But that's good news. It's good news because God comes in the form of Jesus Christ and becomes our Passover lamb. Slaughtered as a sign and a mark of our freedom from sin and death. Jesus is our Passover lamb, which means we are no longer defined by our mistakes and our shortcomings and our sins and our shames, but only by his blood. Jesus is our Passover lamb, breaking the chains of our past, our present, and our future. Jesus is our movable feast. I've shared this many times, and I will continue to share it because it's just that good. Some stories are worth retelling again and again and again. There's someone walking down the street, minding his or her own business, going about day-to-day -day routines, probably a decently fine person, when all of a sudden the ground falls out from underneath them and they're in a hole. The walls are so steep that they can't even claw their way out. They are stuck in this hole in the middle of the road. And they start calling out, anybody, somebody, can somebody please help me? A lawyer comes to the edge of the hole. Well, what seems to happen? I've fallen down here and I can't get out. Can you help me? Can you please go get some help for me? And the lawyer says, I think we should sue the people who made this road. I'll be back in six to eight weeks. Disappears. 
Somebody, somebody help me, please. I'm stuck down here in this hole. I can't get out. A doctor comes to the edge of the hole. What seems to be the problem? I'm stuck down here. I can't get out. Can you give me help? Writes a prescription and lets it float all the way down to the bottom of the hole and leaves. Help me, help me, somebody, please. I'm stuck down here in this hole. I can't get out. A friend comes to the edge of the hole. What happened? I fell down here. I can't get out. Can you help me? And the friend jumps into the hole. And the person says, You big idiot. Now we're both stuck down here in the hole. And the friend says, Yeah, but I've been down here before. And I know the way out. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who condescends, sacrifices whatever his life could have been to jump down into the pit of our miserable mess and says, I've got an exodus. I know the way out. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.